Today, we're going to continue in our backstage series. And if you've been following this at all, we're talking about what church is like backstage. Every backstage, especially in the Nashville area and Franklin, and when there's always a green room. There's always things going on back there that you can't see. And, and uh, we thought we would use this as a way to look behind the scenes at church life. And because and, I think a lot of Christians, especially in the COVID world, you know, we're starting to realize how much we need the body of Christ, how much the body of Christ meant for us farther than we even realized that it did and how much the world right now needs, as Tozier said, I quoted last week, a scared world needs a fearless church. And so that's who we're called to be. So today we're going to talk about the church that became polluted. And it made me think a little bit about, you know, if there's one thing that almost everybody in here, everybody listening in live stream or any of our venues right now in the chapel and children's worship and the station or the basement, uh, we've got people all over this campus right now. And and if most everybody here understands what it means to pull up at a a, a service station, right? You've all been to something like this and and you pull up and and you go to to get some, some fuel, and, 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 and it made me think of this, this it very much ties into what we're going to read today because the reality is when you go to pump gas into an engine, so this is a car engine, right? So when you go to pump fuel into that engine, what you put into that engine will determine performance, right? So imagine if you put a little bit of gasoline and, oh, I don't know, just a little bit of sugar, right? It's not going to go well for you. Okay, it's just not going to go well for you. You know, if you put a, a little bit of something inside that that's not supposed to be there, I promise you, whatever goes into that engine is going to fuel performance. Pretty simple concept, right? But but we say, Jason, why why are we talking about this? Well, because I want you to understand that your your belief system, the things that you believe. In fact, I even said it this way: what you believe fuels what you do. See, we, don't, we often think, well, I don't know a whole lot of theology. Well, you should. Because what you believe fuels what you do. What, what you believe about yourself, what you believe about life, what you believe, what you believe drives how you act, right? And, and so, so I, I know that that is the absolute truth. At Clearview Baptist Church, if you are around here very long at all, you're going to hear us make a statement often. And you're going to hear us talk about we really believe that people were designed for a purpose. God made you for a reason. He wasn't just trying to populate the planet. He just didn't look down one day and say, if you were born in 1981, he he didn't just say, I think the world needs another boy or the world needs another girl. If you were born in 1957, I think we just need another person. Listen, that's, that's just crazy. God made us for a reason. And so at Clearview, we often say no more purpose people. We really believe that scriptures testify all throughout the scriptures that God made you for a specific calling. Now, I don't mean it's confined to just like I'm, you know, I'm supposed to be a banker at U.S. Bank on Highway 96 in Franklin. I'm not saying it's going to be that specific. I'm saying that God, but he did make you for a calling. And I want want you to hear me something. Say something, friends. You are missing out. I mean, you are missing out on the very reason God put you here if you don't know what that calling is. If you do not know 
what God made you for, you are missing out. And you're missing out on the very reason you were born. I, I love, uh, there's a, don't, don't show the quote yet, there's a, a very famous motivational speaker. He's in heaven now. And it's, it's really interesting how, especially in the early years, he took a, he was a big believer in Jesus Christ, thoroughly biblical, pulled his principles from scripture. But it was interesting how many people uh, I'm going to show you a quote in just a second from Zig Ziglar. And many people always used to, in the early days, give Zig a hard time because they thought he's just a positive thinker. Well, what's the alternative to that? Let's just think negatively and hate ourselves. That, that, yeah, that's great. You know, so no, Zig pulled all of his, all of his material from scripture. I've, if you've ever heard his testimony, loved Jesus Christ and was very open about that. But when it came to walking with purpose, this is, I read this many years ago. When I, when I read it, I was like, man, that is absolutely true. Look at what Zig said about living. He said, most people are a wandering generality when they could be a meaningful specific. Most people are a wandering generality when they could be a meaningful specific. If you don't know why you're getting out of bed every day, you're losing. You're losing. If you don't know why you're getting out of bed every day and what's getting you out of bed, it's not a job. A job ain't going to get you out of bed if you didn't already notice. But a purpose will. A calling will. A calling will get you out of bed. In fact, a calling will keep you in a job when the pay won't, Right? Amen. Amen to that. Yes. So, but you know what? Zig is right. Most people, you know what most people do? They're a, they are. They are a wandering generality. Just yesterday, I want to say this just real quick. This wasn't in the notes. This is for free. Okay. <laughs> just yesterday, I've been trying to get to know a guy for a couple years. And he's older than me. He's a sweet man doesn't know Jesus. He's very uh, skeptical of religion at all. He's told me that he's searched many world religions. And he's a sweet man, has a sweet wife. They've been married a long time. They're, I've come to really love them. And, and yesterday, yesterday morning, he asked me, he said, uh, how did you get in the church business? And I was like, I've never had it put to me like that, you know. Um, but you know, what I, you know what I told him? I said, oh, I... I I didn't like. He said, did you grow up in that? Or, and you know, you, know, so you know where I started? I said, well, I, I, I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't come to, to Christ till later in my life. I said, but I said, you know, I've never been that situationally aware, especially when you're young. Like, you know, when you're young, you're just trying to get through the day and you're not, you're not really present about what's going on. I said, but for whatever reason, when I was 17 years old, I did the math. And I said, I remember it wasn't, I didn't go searching world religions. I just began to, to put the pieces together and I thought, if I'm born on this earth to go to school, maybe go get a job or maybe go to college, maybe not, have a family, maybe have kids, maybe not, get old, retire, get a disease, and die. That's a pretty cruel joke. I mean, if that's all there is, that's a pretty cruel joke. There's got to be more here. And you know what he said to me? Here's a guy that has honestly studied world religions. And he said, I've never thought about it like that. Now, if I'd come at him with, you know, the doctrine of election, 
or, or something about the cross or if I had come at him about the open tomb or about why Christianity. In fact, he even said back to me, he said, well, most world religions are the same. I said, with, with the, I said there's a lot of common traits with one exception. Jesus came out of the grave. And he said, well, yeah. But it was fascinating to me that when I posed the question that I know why I get up every day and you don't, it was fascinating how that made the wheels turn. You see, God made us to be a meaningful, specific. But I want to tell you something. One of the fastest ways to derail that, one of the fastest ways for that to come off the hinge is for you to have polluted beliefs. Polluted beliefs. What you believe about God and what you believe about yourself is going to drive what you do. I love what Proverbs 23 says, one of my favorite verses. It says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Whatever you think in your soul, what you feed, the, the, the petroleum, the, the fuel that goes into your mind, your heart, your will, your emotions, all of those things that you embrace affect what you do. In fact, that word, as a man thinks in his heart, it means calculate. It means to estimate. It means to consider the cost. So as you calculate in your heart, so you are in the same as true for churches. So today, I'm going to talk to you about the power of what you believe. And we're going to use a church that got it wrong to show you how to get it right. So let's look in Revelation chapter 2, right? Revelation, very last book of the Bible. If you've got, you got a Bible, very last book of the Bible. If you're on a digital version, I'm in the New American Standard, N-A-S-B, New American Standard Bible, uh, Revelation chapter 2. We're actually going to do something else a little bit different today. There's two churches uh, at Pergamum and Thyatira, and I'm going to kind of put these two churches together because they both were dealing with immorality. And, and so I, I, the more I looked at it, I thought, I, I think... I can cross, cross over some ties here so that we can do two churches in one day. And I'm just going to read. I'm not going to read all of these verses in chapter 2, but I'm going to read several. So here we go. Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum writes, The one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this. Now this is Jesus sending a message to a church, as in literally. So he says... To this church, I know where you dwell, that is, I know where you are, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name. In other words, you're not compromising your standard of faith. You're not denying my name. That's what he's saying. And you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one who was killed where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have there some, that is, there's some people in your church that hold to the teaching of Balaam, who have kept the teachings of Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idol and commit acts of immorality. Balaam and Balak, those were uh, two Old Testament references of, of people that, uh, of two deities, if you will, of stumbling blocks of false teachings. So you have some, verse 15, so you also have some who in the, in the same way hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. 
Or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I'll give him some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one else knows but he who receives it. That's a complicated verse that I, I just can't thoroughly go into this morning. Now, the very next church he speaks to, he says, And to the angel of the church at Thyatira writes, The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze. That's, that's a reference to how, how holy God is. He says, I know your deeds and your love and your faith and your service and your perseverance and your deeds of later greater than first. In other words, you're, you're growing. You're growing. You're standing strong. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches, and she leads my bondservants astray. And they commit acts of immorality, that's sexual acts of immorality, and they eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulations unless they repent of her deeds. On and on he goes with that. I'm going to stop right there. So you've got, you've got two churches that were compromising their witness, not just sexually, but in, in, in multiple ways they were, they were compromising. So the real question is how? How, how were these Christians compromising the, their faith? So let me tell you about Pergamum for just a second. Pergamum, uh, they were kind of at the center of the, the cultural thought life. So, so think of it like this. Imagine a church that was smack in the middle of Washington, D.C. Now, what goes on in the middle of Washington, D.C.? Well, that's where our nation's laws are made, right? That's, where our, that's, that's ground zero for how we interpret the world. It's ground zero for how the world is structured when it comes, in, or our nation, that is. It, for our nation, that is where the thoughts come out. That is, that is the leading epicenter. Well, Pergamum was at ground zero, and, and they were, they were, there was a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure on Pergamum to start to, to blend in. That's what happened. They began to blend in with culture. Jesus told them, yeah, you've not walked away from the faith, but you started to smell more like the world than you do the Savior. You see, at, at, at Pergamum and Thyatira both, they had the proper doctrines, but they didn't own them. Does that make sense? They had the proper doctrines, but they did not own them. And that can happen even, I mean, we can say the right things. In fact, we can even in many ways believe the right things to an extent. But over time, we can begin to erode and we begin looking more like culture because of pressure. Let me give you a, a really great example of this. This is one of many I could have chosen. Many years ago, probably within the last five to seven years, there was an end it movement, right? And you saw celebrities, and they would put the red X on their hands, and, and you, would, you would see all kinds of different people on Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat and you, on, all, all kinds, on Twitter. You, and it was a, an anti-human trafficking uh, effort, and it was great awareness to end human slavery. So here's the thing. And, and sex slavery and, and, and uh, sex trafficking, and not only that, but also just trafficking of, of labor and, and uh, all kinds of, you see all kinds of country that put people into forced labor. It's a great movement. It was a great awareness campaign. But, and so let's think, you, you wouldn't see any Christian 
I mean, no Christian in their right mind would say, yeah, I, I support human trafficking. We'd say, no, I denounce human trafficking as you should, right? For sure. But look how over time culture creeps in because I, I want you to think about a different way of how we can be doctrinally correct but rotten in practice. I love what David Platt said about pornography. He said, pornography thus feeds prostitution, again, increasing the demand for sex trafficking. Do we realize what we are doing? We are fueling an industry that enslaves people for sex in order to satisfy selfish pleasures in our own living rooms, our offices, and on our mobile phones. The hypocrisy is staggering, and the conclusion is clear. No matter how many red X's we write on our hands to end slavery, as long as these same hands are clicking on pornographic websites and scrolling through sexual pictures and videos, we are frauds to the core. When you look at the Christian church, you see that porn is ripping churches and church people apart. So you can have all the right beliefs in your mind and on your statements of faith, but in practice, you can be eroding. That's just one example of how Pergamum was denying Christ. They, they weren't denying Christ with their words, but they certainly were denying him with their actions, and they were going into some real pollution. But here's the, here's the question that I asked myself this week, because we're called, right? We are called to go into the world. We are called. So the real question that I asked was this. Uh, so how do you reach a spiritually polluted world without becoming polluted yourself? That's the hard part. Because now we, we, God did not call us to circle the wagons and just wait it out, right? He didn't call us just to put up our armor and just hold out the storm until it all blows over and the eastern sky splits. No, we are actually called to go into a world that doesn't know Christ without becoming part of it. And Pergamum and Thyatira both were called to go into that world, but as they did, they actually became more like it. So how do we not do that? How do we, how do we not do that? Well, I can tell you the premise of it all rests around this, is that I am called to carry Christ's convictions regardless of the cost. I'm called to be different. You're called to be different. We're called to carry the convictions of Christ regardless of the cost. So how do we engage? Because uh, uh, our culture is much like what you see in Pergamum. Our, ch our church culture, our American culture, our world culture is very much what like what you see in Thyatira. Not just sexually, but in all kinds of ways. We are in an eroding culture. It, would anybody disagree that we are in an eroding culture? You know, I can't even... I was talking to a friend of mine, he, um, he's a business owner, and uh, he's a great man, I love him a lot, he owns a, a, a business in Nashville, we were talking this week, and, and he said, I can't even watch the news anymore, I just get mad, I'm just angry, and I said, yeah, it's been that way for me for years, it doesn't matter what the topic is, our world is in confusion, and our world is broken, and our world is eroding, and so what, I mean, that's the whole point of revelation as things go down the church is supposed to go up amen that's right so what do we do how do we engage that culture i'm called to carry christ's convictions regardless of the cost so how do i engage a politically a politically and a socially and an economically and a sexually polluted world without becoming polluted myself 
Well, I'll give you two today. One, I would say refuse. Refuse to allow culture to define righteousness. Refuse to allow. Listen, Christian friend, if you're taking notes, maybe you've just got a really good, maybe you just got a good uh, one of those photographic memories. If that's you, burn that into your mind. Burn that into your mind. Refuse to allow culture to define righteousness. Jesus defines righteousness. His word defines what righteousness is. And the problem with the church at Pergamum and Thyatira was that his church was not representing his heart. Did you hear me? The people in his church were not representing his heart. And Jesus will not abide with pollution. You know why he won't abide with pollution? Because Jesus isn't polluted. Jesus isn't polluted, and he's not going to have polluted people. He's not going to have polluted people. So you've got to learn of who get... Look, you've got to decide, you hear me? You've got to decide who sets the standard. It doesn't matter what you think, and I want you to listen to me, Christians. I want you to examine, all of you watching on the live stream, I want you to do something for me. I want you to examine what you think about God versus what the Bible says about God. I want you to examine what you think about parenting versus what the Bible says about parenting. I want you to examine what the Bible says about sex versus what you think about it. What does the Bible say about your money versus what you do with your money? You see, the scriptures, God's word, that defines the parameters. It doesn't matter what you think. It matters what the Bible says. And that that drives, because what we, look, what you believe drives what you do. You can tell me all day long what you believe. You know how I'll know? By what you do. That's how I'll know. That's how you'll know about me. We have to choose to refuse to let the world tell us. But man, it's hard. So I want to give you a little modern day illustration. Come up here, Taylor Grimes. Everybody give Taylor a big hand. That's pretty weak. Come on. You got to push her up here. She's shy, right? Now, Taylor, hey, how long have you been going here? I thought you would have the same thing. Just answer that one question. How long have you been going? 19 years. She's been here way longer than me. All right. So I want, I want to come on, stand over here, Taylor, and put your back to me now. Now, I'm obviously bigger than Taylor. All right. All right. So, so if it, let's just say Taylor's the Christian, right? Taylor's the believer. And here, you know what I am? I am, I am the, the big bad culture. All right. I am modern media. I am pop media. I am Spotify, which is great. I have a Spotify account. I, I'm all for it. I, I, am, I am messaging. I am cultural, pop cultural messaging. I am the world constantly trying to tell Taylor what to believe. Now, I'm going to lean on you. Are you ready? Now, I'm, I'm country strong, so I'm coming. All right? I'm, all right. Now, watch. So if, I'm, if I lean on Taylor, all right, keep leaning. Don't, don't be shy. There you go. Just lean back. I'm not going to let you fall. This is like a tr- oh, I've realized this now. This is a trust exercise. I didn't think about that. All right. I'm not going to let you fall, Taylor. But if I just keep leaning on Taylor... And if I just keep leaning on Taylor, and it doesn't matter, I'm just increasing force just a little bit, okay? Not much, right? And I just keep leaning on Taylor, all right? All right? How, how do you, all my staff knows how to answer this question. How do you turn an aircraft carrier in the ocean? Constant pressure on a small rudder. Constant pressure on a small rudder. 
So let's get back in the camera because they're going to get mad at me. Come stand right here. So, so if I'm, if I'm, pre- look this way right there. So if I'm, if I'm modern media and I just keep pushing on Taylor and weighing her down and speaking into her ears 24 seven, telling her this is what's right. This is what right. But if she doesn't know the word of God and she doesn't understand the word of God and she doesn't pursue the word of God to filter out all the pressure, guess who's going to win? hands down every time every time because the pressure is relentless on you as a 55 year old man on you as a 30 year old single mom on you as a student the pressure is relentless but now watch this one thing Taylor's done this whole time okay I was baiting you okay as I'm leaning on Taylor guess what she's doing she's allowing me to lean isn't she Is anybody making her do that? No. I mean, she conformed because she's just a good Baptist. She did exactly what her pastor said to do, which is how you should do it too. Okay? But, But nobody is forcing. Guess what would happen if Taylor just stepped to the side? Where do I go? Right? So you know what Taylor can choose to do? Don't play. Don't play the game. Just don't play the game. When culture comes, say, nope, not playing. Thank you, Taylor. Good job. Give her a hand. Yeah. So so the truth is you don't have to play. Nobody says you have to have a subscription to anything. Nobody says you have to read certain books. Nobody says you have to go to movies. Nobody says you have to do anything. You've got to refuse to allow culture to define it for you. And I'll give you one more when it comes to how do you get into a pop culture without becoming like it, like Thyatira and Pergamum did. I would say, to, say it to you this way. Pull your circle of influence toward Christ. Now, I worded that very carefully. Pull your circle of influence toward Christ. See, all of you, because you were born with a purpose and because God made you for a reason, you know what you've already got? You ain't got to go searching for it. You don't have to go searching for it. It's already there. You've already, every one of you, moms, dads, students, young adults, Single, single again, 80-year-old, 20-year-old, 15-year-old, all of you. You know what you've already got. Don't even have to go invent it. It's already there. You have a circle of influence. It's already there. You got your friends, maybe people you work with, people you play ball with, people you maybe are on cheerleading team. No matter what you might do, you've got people around you already. That's a circle of influence. So how do you use that? You've got to engage that circle. Well, what you got to do is you got to pull them toward Christ. Show them the option. You, you know, we are called to step into a dying world, and we're called to step into a lost world. But that doesn't mean, Jesus very clearly said, we are be, to be in the world, not of the world. But we are. We are the light of the world, right? Amen. Amen. Three people believe it. We are. That's right. Better than two. Okay. So... We are the light of the world, and we all are salt of the earth. That's us, called to go into it. So what we have is an option to influence our culture and show them, hey, by the way, y'all do know the kind of food you're eating over here. You don't, that's not the only food out there. There's an option. I love what Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. See, you have an option with your non-believing friends that are going to die and go to hell if they don't know Christ? They are, 
Doesn't matter if you even think that's fair. It doesn't matter if you even think that's true. It matters what the Bible says. And the Bible says that people that die without Christ spend an eternity in hell. That's what happens. And so we're called to to go into that world and to show them, hey, you don't have to play. You you can repent. You You can go the other way. Now, why in the world, why does this matter? Why does this matter to God? That's the big question. All this thing about pollution and the fact that you're called to carry Christ's convictions without compromise, that's the question that I ask. Why does this matter to God? Why does your purity matter to God? And I'm not just talking about sexual purity. I'm talking about the righteousness of your own heart. Why does it matter? I'll tell you why it matters. Because, listen to me, Christian. Sin always promises what it cannot deliver. It always promises what it can't deliver. Greed promises you gain, but it can't deliver. Want, materialism, promises you status, but it can't deliver. People all over this world are taking the bait because sin promises what it can never deliver. You're never, ever, ever going to see a righteous harvest from polluted seeds. You're not. You're just not. Why does it matter to God? Because God wants you to have life and he wants you to experience real life. I hope you're listening Look at what Jesus said. I love this verse in John 10, 10. Jesus said, the thief has one agenda, only, only. He has one motive, to steal and to kill and destroy. Jesus said, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Do you understand? You've got an enemy that is playing for keeps. He's playing for keeps, dad, with your kids. He's playing for keeps with your mind. What you believe fuels what you do. What you believe fuels what you do. And you've got an enemy that's playing for keeps, but Jesus said, you know what? I'm playing for keeps too. And he's the one that conquered sin and death and the devil. And he said, I came that you could experience all of life. And why does that matter? Because you're never, you're just never going to experience, you're never going to experience the freedom of Jesus Christ. You're never going to experience your calling. You're never going to experience what it means to get up every day and know this is why I'm here. I get up every day. And whether or not I want to come to work or not, that varies depending on the day. But I get up every day because I know that God birthed me And put me here for a calling. And I'm living that out. And I want to tell you something. The freedom and the stamina that that gives you, it's intoxicating all these years to know know, that I was born to do this, whatever your this is. But you're never going to experience that if you allow pollution to dwell. You're just not what you believe fuels what you do. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. 
it's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if, if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter. But sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.